All right, welcome back to Health Talk with Dr. Diane MD. You are listening to your host, Dr. Diane Thompson, and I'm here with you. It's Thursday, December 31st, 2015. This is the last day of 2015, and we embark on a new year. I know a lot of people like to make New Year's resolutions. Uh, People like to make goals and plans for the New Year's. People like to take stock of where they are and and try to get themselves in a good place so they can accomplish some of their goals next year. What I also know is uh, many times people aren't successful with their goals. We know that by about March or so, the vast majority of people have walked away from those goals. The ones who are managed to stick it out are the ones who tend to be very successful. So today I wanted to be with you on New Year's Eve to give you some tips to help you make 2016 your most amazing year. And, and there are little things you can do, little shifts, little uh, changes in your thinking that will help you do that. And that's what I wanted to do with you today. Share some of the best and some of the most popular tips, some of the most effective tips to make you uh, stay on track, to help you get healthy. Well, the tip I want to share with you next, though, um, is a financial one, right? So here's the thing. The end of the year, I know what has happened. You guys went shopping and you shop till you drop and there's no money left in your account. And then you start the new year off trying to figure out how to get it together. I'll tell you this. About, I want to say maybe 10 or 12 years ago, I've lost track now. It's been so long. I stopped all that Christmas shopping. I will tell you, it's the best thing I've ever done. It really was the best decision I've ever made. I don't do the Christmas shopping. I'm not in the stores with the craziness and the stress. The first thing is I was born without the shopping genes. So as a woman, uh, I'm not the typical woman who enjoys shopping. I must find it to be a chore. So that's a good thing. But the other thing, and even more important thing was, I found myself one Christmas day in the store trying to pick up a gift for someone that I did not expect this person to get me a gift. And they got me a gift, and I felt guilty. I felt like, oh, my gosh, I'm now obliged to give this person a gift. So I was in the stores, and most of the stores were closed, in the stores on Christmas Day, stressed out, tired, and buying a gift that I did not want to buy. And I thought to myself, this is ridiculous. I'm not doing this anymore. So I don't do the Christmas shopping. I vowed back then I wasn't going to do it, and I don't do it. What I do instead is I get people gifts just because. So if I go someplace, like I, I went on vacation, I saw... Um, something that I thought, oh, this person will like it. I'll pick it up. There's no pressure, no stress. It's actually a gift that I want to give because I thought about the person. It's not one that I'm giving because some holiday dictated that I got it for them, right? So I got them the gift. I wanted to get them the gift. I was able to get them the gift at a time that I could afford it, and it definitely came from my heart. So that's what I do. I will give a gift in the middle of the year for no reason other than I thought of you 
and I saw this gift and I thought you would like it. And you know what? People generally appreciate that a lot more. I certainly appreciate it. I, I love giving gifts like those. They're genuine. They're real. And I don't, you know, again, they're not obligatory gifts. So I don't do that whole Christmas shopping thing. And when I see people really stressed out, in fact, I was in this uh, Facebook group and someone talked about giving her mom a gift and the mom was angry because it's not what the mother wanted and she was saying she, she saved so hard to get it. And, you know, this is kind of madness. I don't do the Christmas shopping. So one of the best decisions I've ever made. And so at the end of the year, I don't, I don't stress out about any of that. I'm always looking back at people who, you know, now they have to figure it out financially. So I think if you have the courage to do that, to step away from giving those Christmas gifts, you'd be surprised. And, and you know what? No one will die. When I stopped doing it, no one died, and now everyone knows that I don't. Auntie Diane doesn't go shopping for Christmas gifts. It, that's just the way it is. Um, so, but they know they'll get something throughout the year as I think of them. And, and I think it's, it's such a better way and definitely less costly. So I know a lot of folks are, are still dealing with um, their finances from the Christmas shopping, the holiday shopping, and they're going into the new year trying to get themselves financially in gear. And so I wanted to share, this is actually one of my favorite interviews, um, just really talking about um, how we get our financial house in order. What are some of the things we should be thinking about? Um, maybe not worrying so much about the brand new car that we can't afford, about keeping up with the Joneses. Um, you know, really focusing on how to build wealth and how to leave wealth to our children. This is a problem we have, is that we struggle financially. We have children and they struggle financially. They have children and they struggle financially. There's no wealth being passed down. And so everybody has to start from scratch. And unfortunately, that's not the way to do it. So listen to this uh, really what I think is, is some of the best financial advice so you can wake yourself up and, and start building wealth. Are you ready to take full control of your physical, emotional, and spiritual health? Are you ready to experience great success in your life? Health Talk with Dr. Diane M.D. will teach you the tools and strategies to help you take control of your health and inspire you to live your best life. Now here is your host, Dr. Diane A. Thompson, MD. Tonight we're going to be addressing your financial health. And boy, I'm excited about our guest. You know, with the economy still on the down, some of us struggle day by day, while others seem to thrive. We may even wonder to ourselves, why am I not rich? What is it that the wealthy person knows that I don't? What are their success secrets? Well, my next guest will help us with the answers to these questions. Best-selling author and wealth expert, Dr. Dennis Kimbrough, is universally characterized as an authority on leadership, wealth, and success. He is one of today's top business speakers and an expert in peak performance, as well as the author of five books. His latest book, The Wealth Choice, Success Secrets of Black Millionaires, 
comes from seven years of research. Dr. Kimbrough, it is such an honor to have you on the show. Welcome. I'm glad to be here. Dr. Diane, you could have selected anybody. You got me. God bless. Thanks for having me. Now, you said that uh, it took about seven years of research and writing that went into this book. And I wonder, with all the financial books already out there, why did you think this work was important for you to undertake? Well, simply because it's focused at an uh, underrepresented, underserved market. And, uh, you know, I imagine that your listeners span every type of uh, ethnic group and uh, gender, male, female, out there. But when it comes particularly for African Americans, money management, financial uh, advancement, uh, economic empowerment is the final rung on the ladder to civil rights. Dr. Diane, go back to 1955 when Martin Luther King led the Montgomery bus boycott. There were only five black millionaires in the United States. And you mentioned Think and Grow Rich or Black Choice. I was privy and fortunate enough to interview three of the five, and I shared their story in Think and Grow Rich or Black Choice. Now you fast forward the videotape to 2013, and you've got uh, 35,000 black millionaires in the United States. You, some people might think that's a lot, but really when you do the calculus, we're talking one-tenth of one percent. The bottom line is that this is the final rung on the ladder to civil rights. I had a great uh, interview with uh, Ambassador Andy Young, and he told me, he said, uh, you know, 40 years ago, he and Dr. Martin Luther King, they, you know, he said, we integrated the lunch counter but we failed to integrate the dollar. And my retort is, well, how do you integrate the dollar? He says, you've got to be on with the skills and the mindset to compete and carry on and effectively in a capitalistic economy. And you and I both know that capitalism is not a dirty word. Capitalism means everything is for sale. We don't live in a society that is divided between rich versus poor or black versus white or liberal, conservative, Republican, Democrat. But we do live in a society that is divided between dreamer versus non-dreamer. And people get in trouble in life, not because they wanted too much, because they settled for too little. Wow. Wow. That is uh, very interesting. Now, if you were to put your finger on the one thing, uh, when people say, why am I not rich? What is the one thing that uh, seems to be the problem of people who are not able to become wealthy. Well, I mean, uh, not to oversimplify it, but you look at the title of the book, A Wealth Choice. It's, it's based off a choice. They never make a decision. They never decide to. I mean, a after seven years of research, Dr. D., I can un unequivocally tell you that wealth is not a function of race. It's not a function of gender. It's not a function of who your parents are, which side of the tracks you were born and raised on. It's not a function of condition, and it's certainly not a function of circumstance. But it is a function of choice, and it is a function of discipline, and it is a function of effort, faith, and belief. And the bottom line, we're bombarded with 50 million different choices living in a free and open society. And 99.9% .9 of those choices, we don't have to make. We can blow them off. We can turn our back on them. But there are two choices that you and I both make as soon as we wake up in the morning and look in that mirror. Number one, you can accept the circumstances as they are. Or number two, you can take the responsibility to change them. And what I found over and over again through the focus groups, I held six focus groups across the country. I had one in North Carolina with a, a bunch of automobile dealers. 
I had three in the Atlanta area. I had a huge one in Washington, D.C., Dr. Diane. There were no less than 100 black millionaires in that room in Washington, D.C., and two of them were very prominent right there in New York. I mean, one was Bob Johnson, founder of BET before he sold it to Viacom and owner of their Charlotte Bobcats uh, basketball team, and the other one was Carla Harris, most powerful, economically powerful black woman on Wall Street. I had uh, one in Nebraska and a small one out in North Carolina. So the bottom line is choice. You know, as Steve Harvey told me when I got a chance to interview him, either you make life, either you make choices regarding your life or life will make them for you. Wow, this is, it's powerful to know that we have the choice to make and, and that in fact we really have no excuse because we can change things. Now, oh yeah, I mean, you, you yeah, and, and, and you mentioned excuse. You see, the wealthy, you know, the financial elite millionaires, they make money while everybody else makes excuses. I mean, the mm. poor keep score by cars and clothes. The middle class, they keep score by degrees and titles. But the wealthy, they keep score by their bank account. And all these men and women are self-made. You know, I share the data from the, from the survey. I, I used a full-blown survey, Dr. Diane. I asked these millionaires 118 questions. And, you know, it you know, runs the gamut from their age and, and their sex all the way to their success factors. And the bottom line is they come from households of ten to $20,000, born on the Northeast and born in the Southeast. Well, the average household income right now of black America is $30,000 a year. So these men and women were self-made. They could have easily turned their back and said, I can't do this, I can't do that, I can't chase my dreams, you know, I can't find, you know, the, the necessary capital. And that's what this book is about. You know, they, what gets me is that, you know, you look at Amazon and you look at Barnes & Noble and they take this book and they put it in the finance section. They see the words success and they see the word millionaires. And as I told my publisher, yeah, okay, I'm honored. It's, it's, a, it's a finance book, but it's much more than a finance book. This book is not about cash. This book is about courage. You see, Dr. Diane, it takes courage to chase your dream. It takes courage to forsake today for tomorrow. It takes courage to begin a savings plan, save 10, 15% of your earnings. And it certainly takes courage to find a new set of friends because your current associates, your current friends don't empower you. As a matter of fact, they're toxic and they drag you down. So this book is about courage and about believing in yourself when no one else will. Somebody better get excited about your life and you better pray it's you. Well, that is amazing. So I was going to ask you what did you think was the single most common trait that, in other words, the thing they all had. Do you think it's courage? Do you think it's hard work? What is it that they all seem to have? Well, I mean, say, well, yeah, there, yeah, there are a couple. I mean, one question, one, one question of the 118 that I asked, I asked, at what age were you when you broke the six-figure barrier? In other words, at what age were you when you earned $100,000 a year or more? And 99.9% .9 of the time, it came back by age 30. Now, you can use that as a reference point in your life if, if you read the book. Anybody can. What are they saying? Be very careful what you're doing at age 30, because if you don't like what you're doing at age 30, you could be doing it for the rest of your life. But they use that as a springboard. So they began to earn six figures at age 30. The average black millionaire, did, you know, they earn six figures at age 30, but they don't believe in the dream that they could be part of the financial elite, that they could be a millionaire until their early 40s, and they don't become a millionaire until their early to mid-50s. 
Well, Diane, what happens during that 10-year refining period? A lot happens. That's when they really take on the persona that, hey, I can be, have, or do whatever I want. That 10-year period is the road to Damascus. That 10-year period is their Saul to Paul conversion. That 10-year period is their Jonah in the belly of the whale. You've got to become somebody before you can be somebody. So if you're looking for the single most common trait, Dr. D, they're action-oriented. These men and women show up. And and you know what? It it doesn't take much, Dr. D. All you got to do is show. You show up, you beat 80% of the competition. You show up on time, you beat 85% of the competition. You show up on time with a plan, you beat 90% of the competition. You show up on time with a plan and a commitment to carry it out, you beat 95% of the competition. But Dr. Diane, and to your listeners out there, Throughout the Internet Highway, you show up on time with a plan, with a commitment to carry it out and then execute it, you make the cover of Black Enterprise Magazine. And that's what these men and women did. Now, just to piggyback on on what you just said, if someone in the chat room wanted to know if age matter, you know, someone who's listening in who is probably in their 50s right now, who may not feel they have the luxury of the 10-year refining period, is there anything that could springboard them a little bit more quickly? Yeah, yeah. All they got to do is just read the profile of Sylvia Woods. You probably ate dinner or lunch in one of her restaurants. I mean, here's mm-hmm. a black woman who was damn near born in poverty in South Carolina. You know, her, her parents and grandparents were sharecroppers. They had a farm. When she came to New York, she didn't even know how to make coffee. She couldn't even boil rice. But you know what? She worked in a restaurant, and when the owner of the restaurant decided to sell, he asked, would you like to buy it? The family sells the farm, give her money, and then over a, a, that refining period, you know, she makes a name for herself and a brand. I mean, all you got to do is look at uh, Bishop T.D. Jakes. I had a great interview with him. They damn near ran him out of Charleston, West Virginia. He left Charleston, West Virginia with only eight members. They told this man he would never make it in the ministry. Why? Because not only does he have a heavy lisp, and if you listen closely, as I did during the interview, you could still hear the lisp. He still has it somewhat, yeah. He still still has it. And number two, he never finished high school. He went back to get his GED. So there I am in his book line study, and all of a sudden he comes out, and I brought it up. I said, hey, listen, the odd, you know, your your detractor said you weren't going to make it in the ministry. And now you look at him. He's got a 191,000-square-foot facility. $45 $45 million, 30,000-member church. And he said to me, my critics weren't altogether wrong. The lisp is still there. But I don't care if I had to spit. I don't care if I had to stutter. I don't care if I had to stammer. I had something to say, and I was going to say it. Well, I said, Bishop, this is your opportunity to say it. I'm writing this book. He said, you know, give a man a fish, you feed him for a day. Teach him how to fish, and you feed him for a lifetime. But show him how he can buy the pond and no one in his family will know struggle. So I can point out all the roadblocks. I can point out all the obstacles. And one of the common traits that these men and women had, they saw with their mind's eye. They had an overbearing and insatiable faith. And as you know, Dr. D, faith is a verb. So I'm telling you, listeners, see with your mind's eye, because plenty of times your physical eye will lie to you. Dr. Diane A. Thompson is an author a dynamic speaker, and a workshop leader. 
If you would like to hire her to speak at your event, please visit www.drdianethompson.com. Also, sign up for updates and for her free ebook on stress at www.drdianethompson.com. That's www.drdianethompson.com. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Health Talk with Dr. Diane MD, and our guest today is best-selling author and wealth expert, Dr. Dennis Kimbrough. We are discussing the findings from his seven years of research that went into his latest book, The Wealth Choice, Success Secrets of Black Millionaires. Dr. Kimbrough, is it okay if I take a call? Please do. So I'm going to unmute the microphone of the caller calling from D.C. Caller, are you there? Yes, I am. Welcome thank you for to the me. show. Thank you. I'm a regular listener, and I find your show to be very informative. Oh, uh, thank Dr. you so Kim- much for listening. Certainly. Uh, Dr. Kimball, I have a question in regards to, did you find a correlation between your interviewees' wealth in a certain business sector or many business sectors? Well, I profile in um, the sixth chapter um, the road not taken. I list all the businesses that, from my research, and again, I tried to make my research uh, st- uh, st- uh, statistically significant. In other words, it had to be reliable and had to be valid. I had to have a certain percentage, and so I think I did that. Again, there are only 35,000 black millionaires out there, and between my survey, the focus groups, and the one-on-one interviews, I know that over a seven-year period, I rub shoulders with at least 1,000 black millionaires. But to answer your question, yeah, there are certain business and industries. Number one, car dealerships. Number two, franchises. Number three, hotel motels. But the list ran the gamut. I even, you know, surveyed a, a black millionaire who made his money in vending machines. And people might think, well, that's picayune, that's a slight, that's a small, what are the market cap, what's the evaluation of vending machines. But if you've got vending machines at one of the largest airports in the nation, then you can certainly make a killing. So it's, I wouldn't concentrate so much on the industry, and it runs healthcare, it runs real estate, like I said, car dealerships. I would be more concerned to ask you, what is your area of excellence? What is it that you want to do? What is the music that's in your heart? And Dr. Diane, I'm telling all your listeners right now, no one within the sound of my voice and your voice chose to be here. But Dr. D, we were chosen. And what do I mean that we were chosen? You know, the only reason why we're created is because we have a purpose. So when are you going to share your purpose? And it's so apropos that today's Easter Sunday, all you got to do is go back and read the parable of the talents. What happened to the individual who didn't use his or her talent? It was taken away from him and given to somebody else. In other words, your Lord and Savior only wants to be around winners. Here is the talent that you have. When are you going to share it? That might be your best chance for creating wealth. Find your area of excellence. And I talk about this in the fifth law. You know, I found out that these men and women, they focus on the unique gifts, and they ask themselves three critical questions. Question number one, what is it I love to do? What do I have a passion for? What can I throw my whole heart and soul into? Question number two, what would I do for free? Now, some people say, well, these folks are millionaires, so you know they got it in for the money. But the money alone didn't drive them. Because there's going to be times when money alone will not drive you to hit your goals. Somebody might tell you it's impossible. Somebody might tell you you can't do it. Somebody might tell you you don't have the contacts, you don't have the intuitive, you don't have the knowledge. But if you got the love and you got the passion for it, that will overcome it all. And then last but not least, 
you know, if you can't answer the first two questions, go to those people who you respect and admire, someone who knows you real well, and ask them, what do you see me as? What do you think I would be good at doing? That's all a part of finding your area of excellence. Now, why is it key that you find your area of excellence? Because when you are the best at what you do, you never have to worry about income, and you never have to worry about employment. The marketplace will seek you out. Ah, great answer. Caller, did you have any further questions, or is that did that answer your question? No, I think Dr. Kimball covered it very well. Yeah. Thank you, Dr. Thank Kimbrough. you so much for Please. listening. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Dr. Kimbrough, you, you actually touched on this a little bit, because um, in uh, one of the disciplines you talk about, you actually admonish us never to do anything for the sake of money. And uh, for someone reading this, you know, it, it really is not a contradiction based on what you just said, because people are trying to attain wealth, and yet you're saying never do it just for the sake of money. So you think passion exactly is really Exactly, because, important. yeah, in the survey, I asked these millionaires, what does money mean to you? And it came back freedom and security and the ability to affect change. It didn't come back, oh, I can spend it. I can buy any car that I want now. I can buy any house. I can go shopping, you know, on a spin shopping. It doesn't mean that. They're not into that. I mean, I give you the data, the profile of the affluent African-American. I mean, look at the house. Their their house, less than $300,000. They save 10 to 15% of their earnings. Yeah, they own four cars, but they're not newer models. They might have a Mercedes. They might have a Lexus, but they got two domestic. I mean, they got, you know, between two and three kids. They've been married 15 to 20 years. So these folks really see themselves as middle class more than they see themselves as fluent. And when you really look at the data, some of the stuff that I didn't profile, because, again, I asked them 118 questions, more than 25% of them use coupons when they go shopping. I mean, listen, one-third of black millionaires never finance and never use credit. That's why when you look at the credit card debt, it's $2,500 or less. But the bottom line is they are about freedom. Now, you ask me, why is this book important? Again, speaking to your your listeners of color, African-American, because now, I mean, we can go, we can travel wherever we want to travel. We can eat wherever we want to eat. We can live wherever we want to live, and we can send our children to the best schools money can buy. That's the good news. The bad news is we can't afford to do it because we never pursued the final rung on the ladder to civil rights. If Martin Luther King would have lived one to five years longer, that's what the discussion is about. That was his entire talk. In Memphis, I've been to the mountaintop. I've seen that. Well, black America, when are you going to create wealth? And black America, this is your second chance. Dr. Kimbrough, what in the world are you talking about? I am saying in 1899, your most prolific scholar, W.E.B. Du Bois, in 1899, wrote a book called The Negro in Business. And in that book, what he was doing, he was profiling, interviewing, and surveying successful black business owners so he could identify the the traits, the competencies, and the attributes so it can be replicated. And what did black America do? They didn't even open the book. They took the book and put it on the shelf. And the bottom line, Dr. Diane, we're a nation of consumers. We are a nation of consumers instead of wealth creators. But now you've got a second chance, and it's open. Here are the keys to the kingdom, and what we've got to do, we've got to unlock the door. 
you started to touch on something that, uh, that I find really interesting. When we start to contrast and compare the have and have nots, you know, one of the things you mentioned, I've often seen it myself, uh, people with very little money, they'll drive the best cars. I mean, I actually know a few. They struggle to pay bills, but they're driving the latest Beamer or they have the designer outfit and the $1,000 shoes and pocketbooks. You found that the, the haves don't behave this way. Oh, no. I mean, I'm, I tell my listeners and, and readers and followers, if you could only read one chapter in this book, make sure you read the second chapter on the calculus of compensation. Because in that, that is solely fixed upon the focus groups that I had when I got an opportunity to examine and see up close the mindset of our wealth creators. And I list nine variables, Dr. Diane, and I tell you how the have not views it and how the have views it. Now, we don't have time to go in all nine, but let's just take a couple. If it's education, if the variable is education, the have not, K through 12. In other words, I'm going to go kindergarten to 12th grade. Don't ask me to go any further. And you can see that with the data right now. I mean, only 50% of our kids finish high school. Dr. Diane, if you go to any inner city from New York, you're up there in New York, go from New York to L.A., go clear across the country and go into the black community and find me the largest black senior high schools. And I challenge you, and I challenge you listeners to do that. When you go in there and go to senior high schools, go into the administrative office and ask how many ninth graders you had, and then ask them how many seniors do you have, how many are going to graduate. And it's 50%. How in God's name are we going to compete with only 50% of our kids finish high school? And, Dr. Diane, no one says a thing. I mean, we I just agree. dismiss it. We just yeah. dismiss it. So, if, like I said, K through 12, that's what we're going to be. But the black millionaire, lifelong learning. And I saw that. The average black millionaire almost reads a book a week, three books a month. Three books a month where no one else is reading. The average You also African commented on the, the TV viewing habits also. Oh, my God. I mean, mm -hmm. the, you, speaking of the television, the average African-American watched 76 hours of TV a week. I couldn't there's, only there's only 168 hours. Half their waking life is in front of the TV. And we're the average black millionaire? Four hours a night, 28 hours a week. Well, what are they doing? I mean, they're taking the information. They're networking. They're reading books. They're going to seminars. So many times during the course of the interviews that I had, you know, they interviewed me. I mean, when I got a chance to interview Dave Stewart, who is one of our five black billionaires, I mean, he just went, Anna, oh, man, Dr. K, I'm so glad that we meet. We talked a long time ago. I'm, I'm glad that we finally connected because I need to get some of your books. And I said, Dave, you have all my books. I know I need to get some more of them because I give them out. And I, okay, tell me what you're telling your kids at school. What are you telling the MBA students and this, that, and everything? I need to know. They were just hungry for knowledge. So that's, you know, have versus have not when you, look at, when you look at knowledge. When you look at money, if the independent variable is money, the have not, spend it, consume it. The have, save it, invest it. All right, so that's where we end today's show. That's all the time we have left. And it's been wonderful being with you on this New Year's Eve 2015. I wish you all amazing and massive success for 2016. Uh, I hope that you 
continue to take care of yourselves, continue to understand that you're responsible for where you are and you can get where you want to be, and to continue to do something healthy for yourselves. And again, please visit me at drdianethompson.com or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Dr. Diane A. Thompson and uh, on Twitter at Dr. Diane MD. That's at D-R-D-I-A-N-E-M-D. It's been my pleasure. And again, I wish you the best of health and wealth and success for the new year. Take care, everyone.